0: In today's episode I talk with Katie Van Lu, holistic health and nutrition coach and founder of the Nourish to Flourish framework. Katie is so knowledgeable about not only physical health but about the influence that our biopsychosocial environment plays into our health. I know that is a big word, but when you break it down, it is the influence that our biology, our mental health and our environment play into our wellness journey. I found so much value in this conversation. I took so many notes. Katie is so knowledgeable. She knows her stuff and she knows how to relate it in a way that we can all understand. It's so great and I know you're going to be encouraged to think about your health in a whole new way. It's time to adapt to a plant-based palette, minimize waste, and respect our environment. Hello. We are Joe and Sarah Hayes, and we are the hosts of the Bowl of Life podcast, where we are encouraging you to join the plant-forward food movement. It's time for vegetables to move from the side of your plate to the center, and we are here each week to help you do that. So if increasing your vegetable consumption and limiting your animal proteins sounds like a win-win to you, go grab a spoon. Or fork. And let's dive in to learning more about how you can be plant-forward. Hello, and welcome back to the Bowl of Life podcast. Today, I'm excited to introduce you to Katie Van Loo. Katie is a holistic health and nutrition coach, and she helps women burn fat, reduce stress, and improve their energy without sacrificing the foods they love. I love that part about not sacrificing the foods we love, because honestly, who really wants to do that? We want to find something sustainable. She also has an amazing program called the Nourish to Flourish Framework, and she's going to tell us all about that today. So, Katie, welcome to the show. First off, can you tell us a little bit about yourself your and your own health journey that led you to helping other women ditch the diet culture?
1: Yes. Thank you so much for having me today. I am So excited to be here, specifically because selfishly coaching and teaching and talking about health fills my own cup. So I'm just so excited to be here with you and to talk more about nourishing every part of your body and mind and soul. So thank you so much. As you mentioned, yeah, I'm a certified holistic nutrition and health coach. Uh, I'm based in Portland, Oregon, but I actually practice virtually. So I work with women, you know, all over the country, all over the world. And, um, you know, my story is really, you know, my clients are often me three or five years ago, right? So I have always been a very type A gal. I grew up in lots of sports, lots of clubs, valedictorian of high school, you know, really high grades in college, always studying, double major, working full time while I was in college. And, you know, I've always been that very hustle culture kind of girl, which we might get into today, but. At the same time, I always had this insatiable curiosity for health and wellness. So when I came out of school, I graduated college early because, again, type A, type gal. And I went to work at an agency that worked with clients in the natural food and wellness spaces. And you know, I learned so much from the different founders of these companies, and I started learning about our food processes and the food industry. And it really started piquing my curiosity in how we fade our bodies. Now, at the same time, I was continuing to put a lot of pressure on myself. So, climbing the corporate ladder, promotions, you know, equating my success with my financials. Um, and really putting a lot of stress on my body like at that time I was working 12 14 hours a day I would but then I had the pressure to work out so I would go do these really intense workouts and you know I didn't really understand exactly what the food was doing in my body I just equated you know this is good food and this is bad food and I made these separations and I had a lot of restriction and You know, it was it was a pattern that I was definitely stuck in, and it's something that really led me to burnout at the age of twenty five. Now, if you're listening and you're older than twenty five, you're probably like, Katie, how could you possibly have burnout at the age of twenty five? I was doing everything that did not serve my body while not even understanding that it wasn't serving my body. And so I knew from that place that I wanted to dive deeper into what other ways I could try to better my health from a holistic perspective. And I ended up getting a job at a holistic wellness space. And from there, I started learning from different practitioners. So I started learning from acupuncturists and yoga instructors and naturopaths and massage therapists, and I learned about cupping and all of these different things that could go into a wellness and health practice that I had no idea about before. Now, it continues though, you know, all old habits die hard. I was still in this very hustle mentality. I was still working really, really hard, not allowing myself a lot of stress. So from a curiosity about holistic health and wellness came a personal need. Like that burnout really lasted for quite some time. And it got to a place where I ended up being laid off from my job and I had to take an entire month to just completely reset my body. And I went through this journey of, okay, I need to do more research and I need to learn more. And I, and that's what led me to really my purpose and impact that I make now as a coach, I became a certified health and nutrition coach. And I, I've been studying for, you know, a year and a half, almost two years now to really understand the food that we're putting in our bodies, the movement that we're doing, our mindset, and all these different things that we're going to dive into today that I had no idea when you, when I think back to that girl who was in burnout and equating her success with money and, and doing all these things that, I was conditioned to think was healthy based on diet culture, but actually wasn't serving me. And now I want to help women understand the difference between diet culture and actually feeding your body, the difference between your health span and your lifespan, and ultimately helping them live their most healthy, vibrant lives so that you can show up every day without that fatigue, without the pressure, without the guilt of how you're moving your body or eating. And there's just a better way. And we just often aren't given those tools and we don't have that knowledge. And it's leading to all of these women feeling burnout and ultimate fatigue and and problems in their body. And so I am here to untangle the messiness of nutrition and the health info for them so that they can lead better lives.
0: Wow. Yeah. When you were describing your working environment, that's the first word that popped into my mind was, wow, she was headed for burnout.
1: <laughs> oh yeah. Oh yeah. This The stress, and we're going to talk about stress and literally what stress does in your body. The stress that was going on all the time, it's almost cyclical if you can't get out of it, that chronic stress. And that chronic stress is actually super detrimental to your health and, and inflammation in your body. So um, I know that a lot of women feel this and so it's something I really like to talk about a lot so we can try to mitigate that chronic stress in the body. Yeah,
0: that, that's so true. I think that we often don't equate the stress with the inflammation. You know, that mm-hmm. isn't often put in the same bucket together and that's so important to, to bring that to bring that out as well. And the work that you're doing is, is so amazing and um, really appreciate Appreciate you, you, you know, putting this message out there. And so a big part of your Nourish to Flourish framework is you start with discovering why. And can you tell us like what what that means? Why it's important? Because you know what, like I think we're both from marketing. We both joked about that, and I think you know if anybody listening to this is in business, you, Simon Sinek, right? That's the, <laughs> what his thing was: discover your why, and that applied to businesses, but that applies to ourselves as well. Can you can you tell us a little bit about that?
1: Totally, this is the very first place that I start with any client that I work with, and you know. It, if you think to let's just use you know new year's resolutions as an example a lot of the time we make these new year's resolutions because a it's new year's resolutions time and so there's a time frame that has dictated to us that we need to make goals or we feel this pressure because maybe we made a lot of choices we wish that we wouldn't have during the holiday season and we're feeling a lot of gut issues we're having a lot of um you know, digestive issues, all of these things. And so simply our body is telling us we need to make some changes. Um, Or, you know, your friend Sally down the street is going on, you know, the newest diet. And so you wanted to help her out and you're going to go on that diet too. But when you are making decisions like that, a lot of the time it's based on diet culture. So, the very first thing that I like to do is to make the distinction to women like your conditioning to diet culture and the way you grew up thinking about food versus why you actually want to make changes. And sometimes it's hard to differentiate what you actually have thought about that has been influenced by diet culture. And, you know, diet culture is so rampant in our society it's something that i'm really passionate about and making distinction about because it's, it's really harmful for both our mental and our physical health. You know, diet culture equates being thin with being healthy. It promotes extreme weight loss as a status symbol. It oppresses people that don't fit this ideal image of healthy. It demonizes certain foods. And, you know, it it results from a marketing perspective in severe restriction and rules that lead you to fail, right, mm-hmm. because they want to keep you coming back again and again to buying things. It it keeps you coming back to the newest fads, and it's ultimately marketed as a quick fix to achieve health and wellness results that are either bogus or completely unsustainable for the long term. So if you are basing your goals from that lens, you're automatically setting yourself up for failure. If you don't have a deeper why for why you actually want to make changes and be healthier, when you come across challenges or it becomes challenging because making new habits really is there's no way around that i'm not going to sugarcoat it like making new habits is is a difficult process um worthwhile but difficult you aren't going to have something that ties you back to why you're doing it you know and i i talk in in my program about you know strong wise and loose wise if your why is uh because if Sally said that, you know, the keto diet worked for her and I want to do it, like when it becomes challenging, is that really going to hold you to it? No, of course not because Sally's not you. And, but if your goal is, you know, I really want to improve my mobility and start, you know, a stretching and mobility practice because I want to be able to easily get up and down off the ground when I play with my grandkids. That is so much more powerful. That is so much more tangible. That has such a deeper connection to your personal experience and the way that you show up in this world. That why is going to be so much more beneficial for you in the long run when you're making these changes and you can remind yourself why you're doing this.
0: Yeah. I'm glad you brought that up about kind of digging deeper into that into that why. Because like you said, it's not that loose or loose why or surface level why. As you said, um, I was listening to a doctor recently talk about that exact same thing. He um, ran the kind of this weight loss study research clinic type of thing. <laughs> and he's like, yeah, when patients came in, They had kind of a loose why, you know, maybe Sally down the street started keto, I wanna do it. It worked for her, it worked for me. And he's like, and I kept having to ask them why. No why, no why, over and over again to actually get to the root why they wanted to change. And so we're so easy, you know, at hiding behind those loose whys. So easy.
1: (laughs) Oh yeah. And it's one of those things too, where it's like asking the question, Well, what if Like, what does that mean then? What does that mean then? What does that mean then? And a lot of the time, especially with the weight loss goal, what that boils down to because of the way that diet culture has conditioned us is worthiness. If you keep going down a layer and a layer and a layer with women, you know, but what does that mean then? But what does that mean then? It comes down to, well, I'm not worthy if I'm not a certain size because of the way that we've been conditioned by diet culture that being thin means you're worthy. Your weight is your worth. And so when we really get down to that, when you look at it from that perspective, I like to say, like, there are so many things that you can tangibly do that we can change your diet. And if you really do have excess weight that's creating inflammation in the body, like, let's talk about it from that perspective. But if we're talking about weight loss, in terms of worth, like that's mindset work. That's mindset work we're going to do. And that's shifting and reframing and, and thinking about food as fuel and medicine. And it's, it's an incredible shift. So a lot of the time, you know, the work that I'm doing, it's bettering the body and your health for longevity. And the byproduct is weight loss, right? It's not something I necessarily, you know, if you really do have excess weight on your body and it's causing a lot of issues for you, of course, we're going to focus on that. But for the majority of women who are really influenced by diet culture, it's that worthiness component and getting getting down to that and having that aha moment of actually we're going to be doing both mindset work and other behavioral work, That that's where the two things together really come together and you get these like extraordinary transformations.
0: Oh, yeah. So so true. So is that you used a big word on
1: your website. Is that the bio psychosocial model? Yes. Yes, the biopsychosocial approach and I that's exactly what that is. So a lot of the time because of diet culture we focus really on the physical changes that we can make with our body, right? And and you know, even in the past few years too, we're starting to see more in that mental, you know, mental health. Um, but basically what a biopsychosocial approach does is it breaks it down into three parts. So your biological health, your physical structure, all of the chemical processes that are happening within your body on a day-to-day basis, you know, all the molecular interactions that are happening in your body, that's the physical health. Then you have the psychological health, that's your mind and your behavior. So going back to that mindset work, um, you know, That is a big component to your health, and we're going to dive more into that in in this interview at some point about mindset work. And then lastly is that social component, which is definitely not something that people think about has an effect on their health, but it definitely does. That's your relationships, the way you find connection and community. And so taking this lens on your health, you can even break it down even further, which is what I do with my clients, is that if you're looking from a biopsychosocial lens, there's six different areas of holistic health. So there's physical, which is you know, having optimum energy, fueling your body with nutrients, um, functioning without pain or inflammation, those sorts of things. That's often the first thing that I think people think about when they think about my health. My health is physical. Then you have the mental health. That's having the clarity and capacity to solve problems. It's um, focusing on tasks. It's being able to learn and remember and making thoughtful choices and, you know, feeling alert throughout the day. And that's something, especially the past uh, year the past year, that we've come to really put an emphasis on, you know, now that a lot of our habits are changing and we are having to adapt to a different sort of work environment and, you know, home lockdown situations is we're really paying attention to how that's affecting our mental health. Now, some of the other four ones are things that not a lot of people think have a great effect on their longevity and their health, but they actually do. And that's emotional. So that's, you know, Being able to express and feel and and manage emotions in a healthy way. Um, It's environmental. Your surroundings, whether that's your home or work or hobbies, whatever it is, those should support your goals for optimum health and your joy, right, and well-being. And then there's relational that's being connected and feeling valued by others and having a sense of belonging. That's really crucial to overall health. And then lastly is existential. And that's having, you know, a clear and meaningful purpose in life, you know, feeling confident in whatever spiritual components you have that help you establish Harmony and peace within your life. So, there's actually six different areas of holistic health that together create optimum health for you. But we often default to that physical or mental and let those other four just go by the wayside, or we're not even aware of them. And when you can, you know, become aware that there's four different areas, and I like to have my clients do um, a wheel of holistic health when they first come to me, and then, you know, later on down the work of how it's shifting. when you're aware of these six different areas it's it's easier to be like, "Oh, well, if I can improve my environmental health it actually supports my physical health because if I do a kitchen audit and I and I put things in my kitchen that are make me more likely to create better healthier home cooked meals then that actually is improving both of those." And when you can find, you know, it's always ebbing and flowing, but when you can find balance in all six of the areas that's when you really start to feel your most vibrant and resilient self. Mm,
0: Yeah, I love that. And I love that focus on, you know, that you pointed out the psychological aspect of that. I feel like I've been mentioning to my husband over the last months, like, wow, I hear a lot of people talk about, you know the physical, you know probably because it's just this time of year. You know that the physical diet culture and all this stuff. But I was like, it's so much more than that because the mind controls so much of what we do. Oh, and yeah. like, and I don't hear that talked about as much. So I'm so glad that you're talking with your clients as as well as anybody who follows you about that. Um, it's so so important as well as bringing up those kind of dimensions, areas uh, of health. Um, I had talked with someone recently on the podcast a few episodes ago about, about kind of that seven dimensions of health or or six, you know, t- depending on what you, you read or whatever, you can add in some more. But um, kind of that same thing, like, you know, like you get kind of one area worked on and then you can start working on other areas and it allows you to show up more for that area. And when you just start thinking holistically about it, it really opens your mind.
1: Yeah. And definitely with that, you know, psychological, if you think back to my story, I was not taking care of my mental and emotional health at all. Like I just, I took all of the feelings that I had and I shoved them down into a little box and I shoved that under my bed. And I never, I was like, this is what we do when we're climbing the corporate ladder. We put our feelings away. And we work ourselves and because work equals success and i what i literally faced a burnout so hard that i had to take an entire month of just learning how to be again and get more in tune with my mental and emotional health like that's that's an extreme for sure but you know if you take that back like if you just start paying attention to these other areas and making very small changes i'm talking like two minutes a day, five minutes a day, um, you can see drastic changes because when you start realizing that all of everything is kind of interplaying and intertwined, um, it, it just, it's, it's a bigger picture than just trying to focus so hard on one thing.
0: Yeah. Yeah. The small steps is so important. And, uh, Yeah. Just so important, you know, not to shove that box under the bed. Right. And, you know, but we do it, we do it and we do it easily because that's kind of the culture we're in. That's what's being thrown at us. And that's, you know, and that's hard to break through that barrier and just like you know we're throwing this diet culture at us especially right now at the beginning of the year you know it's February right now we're just coming off January where you said like lots of people make those goals you know maybe the neighbor said they're doing some new diet and they asked you to do it too or you just thought I should do it too or whatever and you know I know um You know, so many people get trapped in that diet culture, and it can be liberating to think, oh, I'm not going to diet anymore. But you know what? It can be really scary too to think that. So, when you work with, you know, women specifically, how are you kind of reteaching them that new nutrition? Um, Because, you know, like I said, it can be liberating to think, okay, cool, I'm not going to ever diet again. But you know, if we dove deep into those feelings, we'd probably realize, well, that's a little scary too because everybody else is dying.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Totally. I, I love this question so much because yeah, you're really diving into like the double-edged sword that you go into, especially yeah, that fear, like fear is such uh, it's such a powerful feeling and it's something that Stops a lot of people from even starting whatever it is that they're fearful of, right? And but on the flip side of the coin, it's liberating. Think, think if you could delete your calorie counter forever. You never had to track another food. You never, you didn't wake up every day. Maybe this is you, this is how I used to be. My days revolved around my eating schedule. And how many calories in I was going to take and how many calories out I was going to burn. Literally, that drove my days. Like, I would be like, all right, well, I'm eating this many calories today, so I probably need to go to the gym and burn this many calories. Like, And it became this almost obsession, and that's how I thought about food was calories in and calories out. And the f- the, f- the thought of not having that control anymore and the thought of having to trust your own internal calorie counter and your own – what I like to say a lot of women think it's motivation um, is super scary. And it automatically makes people want to go back and do a diet. Why? Because it's very structured. It tells you exactly what to do. And you don't have to Rely on your internal cal- calorie counter and you don't have to rely on motivation. Now, one caveat I like to make is that I personally think that motivation is BS. And here's why because motivational motivation is fleeting. You're not always going to have the motivation every single day. It's like an emotion. You're not going to have it all the time to make the best choices for your health. Now, the thing about eating and food is that a lot of the cravings and the things that make women feel guilty um, are actually a biological response to something that's happening in their body. So let's talk about dieting. Dieting is really restrictive in nature. That's just the way it is. When you think about a diet, you. Likely get some sort of plan or description that talks about what you cannot have, right? Mm, That's what it's focused on, what you have to take out. And automatically right there is like a, a place I like to start is I like to say, what should we add in? So from the get-go, you're you're doing something that's super restrictive and you're probably following that plan without taking into account where you currently are in your health journey and what is reasonable to be taking out of your diet. So you're probably heavily restricting things that were already in your diet, like, um, you know, processed food, refined sugars, that sort of thing. Um. What happens is you may see some short-term results, right? Because your body's like, whoa, we're getting rid of all this stuff that actually was creating a lot of inflammation in the body. And so there might be some quick turn changes. However, your body is going to send a biological response to you that, hey, we're actually not getting the energy AKA carbs that we used to, and it's going to start giving you cravings. It's going to start giving you those, that 3 PM craving. It's going to start making you want those sweets that you told yourself you're not going to have. And ultimately what happens on these diets is you're super restrictive Monday through Friday, because you have a very, very set schedule probably, unless you're like a shift worker and that might be, you know, a little different, but for the majority of women I work with, they're on a pretty set schedule Monday through Friday. And then you're so restricted and you have so many cravings and your body is freaking out about what you're doing to it. And by the the weekend, you want to let loose. And that means letting go of all those rules and restrictions and you eat all of the things that the diet told you you cannot have. And then what it does is it creates guilt because you didn't have the willpower to stay on the diet. But the thing is it wasn't about the willpower, it was about the biological response that was happening in your body. And it's this guilt circle that women get stuck in. Why can't I stick to this diet? Why can't I keep that weight off? Why can't I exercise like my friend who does it every single day? Like it is this guilt cycle that keeps us really stuck. And I'm going to circle back to the nutrition thing, but I think that's so important to understand first and foremost is that you know, diets are super, super restrictive. And so when I work with women, I really like to say up front, like, you know, your health is very individual and unique. And if there are certain things that you feel better About not eating because it literally makes you feel better, you're not bloating, that sort of thing, that's great. But I try to steer women away from those really restrictive diet plans for that reason. Now, I like to break down the nutrition work um, into three parts because it is very scary when you think about letting go of this diet culture, and it's really mindset work. So um, the very first part that we do is we talk about how you think about eating. Um, Which is a funny thing to even say because you're like, I put food in my mouth and I chew it and I eat it and then like I go about my day and then sometimes I get hangry and like some, you know, (laughs) like that's – of course, that's what – what do you mean? How do I think about food? What I mean is that actually a lot of how you think about eating has to do with the background in the history of our food industry in our country and – it's your preconditioning to diet culture, and it's your preconditioning to however you grew up eating food. And so without even knowing it, you might be thinking a certain way about food that actually isn't based in science at all. It's based in whatever diet culture was telling you. Right. Or it's based on, you know, you had like the clean plate club growing up and you had to finish all of the food on the plate. So now that's like a standard that you've carried throughout you throughout life that you have to finish all of the food on every single plate that you eat. Um, it has to do with, we have a very deep history in our country starting literally back from the 1900s of when, you know, corn syrup was invented of very altered artificial, Um, preservative, filler, you know, just very altered food um, that you have, you've had it your whole entire life. So why would you think that you should go back to basics when we have all of these different options available to us? Or you grew up eating Gushers and Kraft mac and cheese and all of these things and weren't educated as to what those were actually doing in your body. So we have to start first with like meeting you where your mind's at because the mindset work, yeah, that's how you get over the fear of trusting is is thinking about what you th- you know right now and believe to be true, your beliefs about food and then making the shifts and reframing. So that's really the first part. The second part is all of the scientific stuff, right? Mm-hmm. So it's about what you eat. that's the second part. Um, and we can go into this deeper if you'd like, but it's essentially what I like to do is just go back to the basics of nutrition and the science of balancing your blood sugar with balanced plates. Um, we talk about, you know, how the food you eat has macro and micronutrients. Um, we talk about nutrient-dense foods, which is really just um, the the measurement of the richness in the nutrients relative to their calorie content, right? So that's why a lot of Um, you know, refined carbs and things like that. They don't actually have a lot of nutrients relative to their calorie content. Um, We talk about potential for inflammation in the body from highly processed and refined foods and sugars. We talk about Um, really starting to understand your hunger and your fullness cues in your body. And once you kind of start to take some of those things out, you can feel those more. Um, And you can start to trust that internal calorie counter and the hunger cues that come up. Um, And, you know, so many women think that the answer to all of their problems is to eat less and exercise more. Um, But that if you just take that at face value, it actually slows your metabolism. And again, it causes those crazy cravings. Mm-hmm. It causes yo-yo diets and yo-yo weight. Um, and all of those things cause inflammation in the body. And so when we start to break down what happens when we're putting food in our body, what the nutrients are in them, how to balance your blood sugar, which is really important for regulating inflammation in the body, um, that's when you really start to understand like, oh, food is medicine, food is fuel. Um, And then lastly, the last part of nutrition, there's three parts, um, is how you eat. So A lot of us go through our days and we're super duper busy. We have really packed schedules, myself included. This is definitely a practice that I, you know, just because I'm a health and nutrition coach doesn't mean I get everything perfect all the time. I am a human as well. Um, but we're going throughout our days and we're eating on the go. We're eating at our desk. We're, we're shoving things into our mouth while we're like packing the kids' lunches, that sort of thing. Um, but how you eat is actually really important to how you digest and how your body receives the nutrients from those foods. So um, you know, I encourage women to try to not multitask if you can, um, put the fork down between bites and really chew your food. That's actually the very first part of the digestion pro- digestion process is how much you're chewing your food and breaking it down before you even swallow it. Um, and just try to be as present as you can to signal to your body, Hey, we're actually taking in nutrients and we don't need to, sometimes when we multitask, um, it sends a signal to our body that we're kind of in a fight or flight mode because we're trying to do a lot of different things at once. And so it will shut off some of that digestion um, functions in our body because it thinks we're in a crisis zone versus we're just eating and we're multitasking. So, um, you know, being mindful, mindful eating is some, kind of that last portion of the nutrition that I teach.
0: Oh, I, I love that you brought that up, that the uh, that. It triggers that fight or flight if you're multitasking and eating, because I think we can all, you know, um, we've all had that feeling after you you eat mindlessly, maybe you're working at your computer or like you said, you're doing something else at the same time. And then, you know, either you're like, whoa, I can't believe I ate that all and I'm still hungry.
1: (laughs) Totally, totally.
0: You know, you get that weird kind of like, whoa, what, what just happened there? And I feel like now I need to sit down and have a meal because now I need to appreciate my food. And it's like, wait a second, you just downed a whole, you know, something or the other, you know?
1: Yeah. It's almost like, you know, a lot of fitness trainers say like mind to muscle connection. Like when you're lifting weights, you really like to focus on the particular muscle that you're trying to use, right? So you can like get the most Uh, effective workout that you can. It's almost the same when you're eating, like mind to bowl connection. Like if you're sitting down to eat, like be present, like smell the food, like sit down, look at it. Like if you're eating a balanced plate, there's probably like a lot of colors going on. And And sitting there and being more mindful, while it may seem silly at first, is actually signaling to your brain, hi, we're here to eat. We're going to take in some nutrients. I'm like in a very calm state, like I'm ready to digest. And like you need those signals to your brain. It's similar to um, your sleep hygiene, which we'll get into later. Um, Your brain needs some of those signals sometimes. It really does in order to get your body to, to do the functions that it's meant to be doing.
0: Right and again we kind of circle back to that psychological mindset right the mind totally controls so much of this and you know i not that i read these magazines much anymore but you know back in the day but you know i don't think that was being talked about in your shape magazines or your no you know way. fitness no way you no know, it's it's not which uh, so this is very enlightening information it's so great so another part of nutrition that I wanted to dive into is hydration. And I know for myself living in a cold climate here in Michigan, I mean, it is cold out right now. I know I'm not drinking enough water and it's hugely important. I mean, I think I was just reading that, um, you know, Tom Brady, I think everybody's familiar with that name, Super Bowl elitist. Come on, the guy. Wow. Um, But he drinks 37 glasses of water a day. And while, you know, I don't think all of us can do that. I think we broke it down last night, actually, with my son. He was curious. It's like almost three gallons of water. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Three gallons of water a day. Now, not all of us can do that, but we do need to hydrate more than we do. So why is that so important?
1: Yes. You touched on something that I think is so important too and is part of like, even though that may not seem like diet culture, the the celebrities and the media figures and people that we often put on pedestals unknowingly even contribute to this diet culture by influencing other people with what they're doing. So they may not be intentionally doing it, but yeah, maybe someone thinks, well, Tom Brady drinks 37 glasses of water, so I need to do that. Because look at him, like he's the peak of health, you know, like, but especially when it comes to your own health journey. Like you are a unique person. You could do all of the things that Tom Brady did and not look anything like him yeah. again. Cause we're, you, you know, you, you are a completely different person. You have a different body, you have different needs, you have a different metabolism, you have a different environment and different experience. You move your body differently. I highly doubt that you train as much as Tom Brady does. You know, you're in a different location than him. There's so many different things and often that's why people get so frustrated with even yeah. trying to start making changes because they're like, well, I, everyone just keeps telling me that it's unique to me. So what does that even mean if I don't even have trust in knowing what I should be doing for myself? It kind of seems backwards, right? Right. Like, yeah. So, you know, it's building that trust within yourself. And, and you know, I like to try to tell my clients, like, I'm providing you a toolkit Uh, and things for you to put in your toolkit to try on. And then once you kind of do that, you tailor them to your, to your needs. Right. So taking water, um, water is definitely one of those topics that (laughs) frustrates people because it is super unique to each person in their lifestyle. Um, you know, but I would say, I think the number somewhere around 75% of people are at least mildly dehydrated. Mm. That's, incredible. Like it's so crucial for literally every function in your body, your digestion, your detoxification, your energy levels, your cognitive function, um, you know, all of these things. Um, but especially when you're already dehydrated, when you have chronic dehydration, your body, your mind, your, your brain actually adapts to it. And so a lot of the times you'll mistake, um, you know, your thirst for hunger. So we're eating more, but we're actually needing water. And you're like, your thirst cue can really get messed up. And so even when you think that you're not thirsty, you probably need more water, right? Like it's just kind of this thing that's very frustrating for people. And it's actually something that I personally, um, I, I find that very challenged by, you know, I'm a person that I do a lot of coaching, a lot of talking all day long. So it's, it's, I don't have as many opportunities maybe to sit down and be chugging water. So it's, it's much more difficult for me to try to get in my water throughout the day. It's very important though. And so I try to do it, but um in terms of water consumption, it really depends on your activity levels, right? So the amount of um, sweat you're actually producing and how much you're actually using your body every single day. But it also depends on like your environment. So do you live in a super humid environment or a super dry environment? Um, are you doing super intense sweaty workouts, that sort of thing? So that those types of conditions – um, if you have a job where you do a lot of manual labor all day long, that's definitely going to change your hydration consumption. Um, so, as a as a minimum, what I like to recommend your your baseline start is you take your body weight in pounds and you divide that by two. So, and that's the number of ounces. Um, so that's a really great place to start. And then when you take into account some of those other factors that I just mentioned, um, you know, if you're doing a super sweaty environment or super sweaty workout, add an additional eight ounces of water. So anytime that you feel like you may have some sort of shift that would require more water, you're probably right. (laughs) And like add another eight ounces,
0: Mm, that's a very good, good rule of thumb and a good rule too, or a good reminder rather, hey, just don't believe blindly everything you read because like you said, there's a lot of people out there, you know, celebrities and, you know, they have good intentions and somebody in the media probably just asked them, how much water do you drink? Because they were curious and then totally. suddenly it blows up on the internet. And, uh, you know, actually my father-in-law, um, very slim guy, He got told by his doctor that he drank too much water. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. (laughs) (laughs) And he's like, I didn't think that was possible
1: that you could drink too much water, but um, okay. (laughs) Yeah, and the thing is, too, about the Tom Brady situation, like he he is a very, very special circumstance in that he likely has an incredible team of practitioners around him specifically telling him what to do because his – what I, you know, I learned from my business coach, your, your zone of genius. That's the thing that you're really good at and you love to do. What is that thing for him? It's playing football. So he has an incredible team of people around him that take the focus off of the other things yeah. for him so he can just focus on his zone of genius. genius. So someone That's plays the a there calculating out. exactly how much water he needs to drink so that when he goes to do an interview, they're like, how many glasses of water do you drink? He's like 37. And he doesn't have any idea why he's drinking that much water, but he can't yeah. explain that to people and be like, "Well, I don't know. Go ask my nutritionist why I'm drinking." But you know, that conversation doesn't go on, and that's a lot of the time where the mis you know communication between what celebrities are doing and what we're doing is that we're not making that con- contextual connection there.
0: Right, right, and probably just a good rule of thumb is to think for the average person, <laughs> we totally. probably should be drinking more water. than than we are. Um, Now, do you recommend like drink a a glass of water right when you wake up to rehydrate your body or?
1: Yes, yes. So that's definitely key. A lot of people jump immediately to the coffee, right, which is (laughs) wonderful. (laughs) I love coffee. It's almost more of like a ritual than the actual caffeine itself for me um, is the ritual of coffee. Um, but definitely right when you wake up, the first thing you want to do for your body is water. Um, if you think about it, you are sleeping all night, depending on how much sleep you're getting. I mean, at a minimum, I would say, I hope that you're getting six or seven hours. Um, and your body is literally in a state of you're not giving it water at all. So if you think about if you're going throughout an entire day, how much water you're drinking, and then you go through a period of basically water fasting, um, your body is depleted of water. And especially when you're sleeping, that's when you do the majority of your recovery. So your body is sitting there and it's recovering. It's, it's mending all of the muscles that you've used the day before, um, you know, all of those things. And that requires a lot of, you know, water and, and cell function ultimately. Um, and the way that you keep those functioning properly is with water. So wake up drink the water. You know, I would say like at least, you know, an eight ounce glass of water first thing. um, And then we could dive into, you know, breakfast and all of that. But yeah, if you can first thing in the morning, definitely water because you, in addition to breaking your fast, AKA breakfast, um, you want to also make sure that you're giving your body water again.
0: Oh yeah, that's so true. And a little insight here from myself. Like, so I got into a really bad habit when my kids were really little. I had a toddler and a baby (laughs) and I started drinking coffee while I worked out. (laughs) Oh yeah. that's That's a hard habit to break because it's like you're, you know, like obviously you should be drinking water probably for the most part when you're working out. And, uh, I was uh, fueling with coffee because I was so tired.
1: <laughs> yeah, and the caffeine thing is really – it's really hard too because um, it is – you know, it's a substance that gives you energy. It, it it essentially perks up your energy and so if you're like, if I need to get through this, this stint of work or I need to – you know, it's really been a priority for me to get into my workouts um, and I need to get through that, like caffeine is kind of that crutch. But – it's it's very addictive <laughs> and um it's very hard to kick too and something i've found even is um, it starts to negate the energy that you're actually getting from food. So there's kind of this cool process that does work when you are weaning off of the co- the caffeine substances like coffee or if you're like a Red Bull drinker or something like that. When you actually start replacing it with adequate food nutrients and you stop getting like the 3 p.m. slump from your dietary problems that you have mm. – um, you stop needing that caffeine all of the time, but coming off of it when you do have such a high level of caffeine every single day is a process. Um, and and two, like for me, coffee is a ritual, so it's more like a behavioral habit than the actual energy kick yeah. that I get from it. So, there's that too, like, um. You know, I like to talk to a lot of my clients that have anxiety. I'm actually someone with clinically diagnosed anxiety and something that really contributes to that is caffeine. And I had to kind of think about my ritual of coffee in the morning and make, you know, smart choices for myself of if if I want to keep that ritual and that ritual is really something that like gives me joy in the morning like i just need to swap out for decaf coffee or make or a different type of warm substance in the morning that still completes that ritual for my brain to be happy but doesn't give me the caffeine kind of jitter side effects that happen for me and my body it's not the same for everyone but for me it's it's kind of hard so Um. yeah, so, you know, again, going back to that, I think we have like a theme here is that, you know, there's biological and also psychological things going on on all the time with all these.
0: Yeah, for sure. For sure. And so since I just mentioned, you know, drinking coffee while I work out, (laughs) so we, you kind of mentioned earlier too that you were, you know, used to do like these intense workouts and I hear you on that. I used to be the same, you know, let me you know, back in the day, you know, tackle P- P90X and, you know, insanity and all those crazy, like, beach body stuff. And I've just started to realize, hey, Sarah, you know, like, I am 40 this year. I turned four, or last year, rather, I turned 40. And it was like, kind of like, you know what, I feel like I'm getting injured a lot more easily. But I still know that movement is so key. So I know you work through this in your program as well how do you just make that movement enjoyable rather than, um, you know, for myself, you know, I really did like, I'm a, I'm an Enneagram eight, I'm a challenger. So like tackling those programs was a challenge for me and very good. It totally fit my personality. But at the same time, um, You know, that's not for everybody, but they might think like, I have to be doing all that stuff Well, really they just need to be out and moving. So how do you help women kind of balance finding that correct way to enjoy, you know, movement?
1: Yeah. That's, yeah. I love this too. For the record, love P90X. Yes. Love Tony Tony Horton. He's great. Yeah. Um, and you know, there's, there's a time and place for every sort of movement. And like ultimately, first and foremost, foremost, I like to tell women, like if there is a type of movement you really enjoy and is not injuring you, please do it because yes. you know, we're, we have one life to live. And if there's a type of movement that you really love, like you should be doing it for sure. Um, but one thing I really like to break down is um, strategic moving for your body. So my aim for my clients is to move their body to benefit their metabolism and to benefit their longevity. So if that's the goal and that's the aim, it really is a combination of HIT, which is high intensity yeah. interval training, um, strength training, which mm-hmm. is obviously lifting weights, your muscle, you're building muscle. Um, neat, which is non-exercise activity thermogenesis, which is like anything you're doing throughout the day that is not necessarily your exercise time. So that's like chores, yard work, taking the stairs, walking meetings, that sort of thing. Hmm. Um, and then there's stretching and mobility work, which is really important. And I'm going to get into that in a second. And then, um, rest, I like to include that in the equation because it is very, very, very important. And it is something that I never used to do. I'm talking workout seven days a week, hours at a time, all of this. And I think that's a lot of things, uh, a lot of the way that women think about exercise is I have to do it every single day of the week. And a lot of it is cardio-based only. And so I'm just running on a treadmill for hours at a time thinking that, you know, it's that calories in, calories out. But what we know from studies and from, you know, functional medicine is that uh, it's really the combination of these types of movement that work for your benefit for longevity. And, you know, here's why. So if you think about your energy expenditure during the day, I'm going to break this down and you don't have to remember these numbers or anything, but it's just kind of a nice a fun thing to think about. So 70% of the energy that you're expending during the day, which is actually like burning calories, right, is your basal metabolic rate. So that's just like the your metabolism working to keep the lights on in your body while you're at rest, right? So that's literally just your body staying alive. 70% of your energy goes towards that. That's a lot. The second top thing is your NEAT, that non-exercise activity thermogenesis. That's about 15% of your energy expenditure. So it's really important to take note of that. If that's the second highest energy expenditure that you can do throughout the day, then I like to tell women really focus on upping your NEAT. That's something that you can do super easily without having to schedule in additional workouts. So what does that look like? That looks like Um, you know, taking walking meetings when you're on the phone. If you have a phone call, walk around while you're doing it. If you have, you know, if you're sitting at a desk all day, like I think a lot of us have invested in those standing desks because we can literally feel in our, in our joints and our muscles, like it doesn't feel good to be sitting all day. Um, Stand at your desk if you can. Um, Take the stairs, like don't take elevators anymore, unless, you know, it's like a crazy amount of stairs, like 24 flights, then please, by all (laughs) means, take an elevator. But like, you know, if it's like 10 flights or less, take the stairs, Um, walk further from your car. You know, a lot of us, and especially in the past year, aren't getting as much neat. uh, movement as we were even just last year when we had to drive to work and get out of our cars and, and walk in. Like yeah. simply that now is gone for a lot of people because we wake up and we walk into the living room yep. and we sit down on the couch and we get our, on our computers. And so while it may not be, it may not seem like a big amount of that daily expenditure, 15% is still the second highest thing you can do for your energy expenditure throughout the day. And it's really important, especially if we look at. Um, like blue zones, which are the areas of the world where they have the most uh, prevalent centenarians, the longest living people who um, are really having healthy, resilient lives, the longest, they have so much neat movement in their lives. Movement is like built into what they do. They're walking around every day. They are doing chores that require them to move. They are, you know, they're just doing a lot more daily activity, a lot more of that neat movement that doesn't take a lot of physical effort in the moment. It's just making choices, right? right? And so if we take that a little bit further, I'm going to tell you the two other things in our daily energy expenditure. It's um, thermal effect of food, which is just your digestion throughout the day. It actually takes energy to digest your food. No surprises there. That's about 10%. And then the very last thing is 5%, which is daily exercise. So I like to say this not to be like, okay, you don't need to exercise because it's only 5% because you definitely do and I can tell you why. But we put so much stress and pressure on ourselves about that 5%. And it's important to look at that need activity and realize the weight of that as well. And the combination of those two is is really what makes a big difference. So, you know... If you can walk around more, if you can take those walking calls, if you can take the stairs, like that alone is gonna improve your your health. And and you know, when we do more of that neat activity, it it stops the buildup of inflammation in the body that you get from being super sedentary. Mm-hmm. Um and so I'll dive a little bit into the structure of the other types of actual exercise too, because that is important. So um, hit or high-intensity interval training, that is one of the best things you can do for your body. And this means you don't have to spend hours on a treadmill. It means you can spend 20 minutes doing hit training and be done with it, yeah. which is great. So the reason why hit training is so great and, you know, a lot of people do this type of training without even realizing why it's good for you, um, is it creates a hormetic stress response in the body. And so – when we we talk a lot about stress and inflammation, we're talking about chronic stress and inflammation that creates a lot of cortisol in the body. The difference between that and what happens when you're doing hit exercises is you're getting the good kind of stress, which is hormetic stress, which is the stress on the body that induces a healing response. So it's these short bursts of cardiovascular activity followed by rest. And it's actually incredible for your body. So HIIT training is amazing and it's super time efficient. Um, The other one is strength. So you absolutely need muscle in your body for longevity and to support your metabolism. So when you have more muscle on your frame, you actually are supporting your bones because you are supporting the uh the bone structure by having more muscle on your on your bones you're basically telling them hey like we need to stay strong and healthy Um, I mean, that's the very dumbed down version of it. But if you think of it like that, if you have more muscle, you're actually telling the bone bones we need to be stronger so we can support this muscle. And having muscle on your body also helps boost your metabolism as well because you're burning more fat from having that muscle on your body. Um, So it's really important for longevity to continue to build muscle and have that muscle mass over time. And then lastly is the mobility and stretching. So we all know that we should be doing stretching. Like we all, we all say it and then no one does it, myself included. Um, (laughs) but it's so important because that is what prepares your body for movement. Um, and it's what prevents injuries and it increases your range of movement. So you actually can do all of that movement that you're trying to get in throughout the day. So, you know, a lot of people will focus on that specific exercise for calorie burn, but the stretching and mobility portion of it is basically in tandem with it too. And then of course you need rest. (laughs) If we are going to be doing this kind of hormetic stress inducing activities, we also need to rest and recover. And you know, the combination really de- ten- depends on the ber- person and their body, but I like to say there should be at least one to two days of rest a week, two to three days of strength training, two to three days of hit, and then you're incorporating your mobility and stretching in there throughout. So, you know, my best advice is to keep it short, simple, and fun right? Like do the things that bring you joy. Like there are plenty of like free exercises on the internet. Um, there's also lots of, you know, so many trainers and things that have apps now, um, find someone who resonates with you, find a type of movement that resonates with you and, and keep it fun. Um, you can also use it as a way to connect with loved ones. So maybe someone's doing the same type of workout with you, or you do it at the same time, um, or finding a a community to be a part of. So, you know, there's lots of people who love, working in group classes and things of that nature. And even while we're still virtual right now, you can do that virtually through group classes. Um, and it, it finding the fun in it and finding the joy in moving your body really keeps it interesting. And, and it, it means it could change, right? So what I did last year before pandemic looks totally different from what I do now, because I'm in a very different environment. And that's totally okay. As long as you're still getting in that movement every week uh, to benefit your health, that's what matters most.
0: Oh, yeah, that is certainly key, finding that um, something that you like. Like, I love, uh, I know lots of people are Peloton fans. I love, actually, the Les Mills because I just love their, like, Accents like they're British, and they're from yeah. all over the world. And I'm like, I could listen to these people forever. They sound so cool. <laughs> and uh you know what? In, in stretching as well, we both talked about how we how we love uh, P90X. And I know some people were like, Oh my gosh, those programs are so long. Each you know exercise set or whatever they had, and Actually, on the flip side of that, one of the key reasons I liked P90X is because he built in like 10 minutes of stretching or more on the front end and on the back end.
1: Totally. And I love that
0: because otherwise I wouldn't have done it. And as the workouts have gotten shorter and shorter on... Beach body, I'll just say it. Um, They've gotten like 20 and 30 minutes workout. Guess what's gone away? The stretching.
1: (laughs) Totally. Yeah. That's actually a really great point that I hadn't thought of, but you're totally right. Like Tony is very into making sure that you are prepared and cooled down and that was a part of it. So while it may seem like it was an hour's workout, there was 10 minutes on either side, at least of stretching, which is super important for your body.
0: Yes. Yeah, so super important. And uh, yeah, so important. We even have a roller upstairs and downstairs in our house, and I still don't use it as much. <laughs> <laughs> oh, So always just good to keep that in mind. You got to lengthen those muscles, right? Totally. Totally do that. So we've talked about so many great things. I think there were a few more we wanted to touch on and You know, some of those are really key. We wanted to touch on the immunity part of our health, and that is something that you go over in your program. And, you know, if there's any time to talk about immunity, it is now. So do you just have some quick tips about how we keep that in check? And I mean, when we're in flu season right now. We're in pandemic still right now. And I feel like we're forgetting we're in flu season, too,
1: because of pandemic. (laughs) (laughs) Totally. Yeah. I mean, and this one may sound more simple than you think, but my biggest tip for immunity is to use food as medicine. So when we're actually getting the nutrients that we need, we're getting, we're eating those nutrient dense foods, and we're avoiding inflammatory foods and, and, you know, inflammatory foods are highly processed foods, um, refined starches, added sugars, preservatives, fillers, really, and anything that your particular unique body is sensitive to, Um, when we're doing that, we're automatically supporting our immune system and that's really important. So that's, you know, lots of colorful fruits and veggies. Those are really high in vitamins, uh, C, A, and those phytonutrients that help support our immune system, you know, making sure to get the protein in that you need to support your muscles and your blood sugar balance. Um, really thinking of food as medicine in that way is a really great place to start. And then there are other things that you can add in like garlic or ginger, onions, Um, spices are really great, like oregano or rosemary. These have a lot of antimicrobial properties that really help to fend off sickness. And then, you know, there's, there's other foods as well. You can do fermented foods that, um, have a lot of probiotics in them for your gut health. That's like, you know, kimchi and, uh, yogurt and, uh, miso, those types of foods. And then prebiotic foods that you can eat in tandem with them to create that synergy of pro and pre, you know, asparagus, um, artichokes, um, bananas, things like that, um, really help your gut health. Maintaining proper gut health is so important to your immunity. Um, and then lastly, you know, water, which we talked about is so, so important. You your body can't function and have a, a well-functioning immune system if you don't give it the liquid that it needs. Um, but also warm liquids like tea or soup is really great for immunity. Um, and then, Three other things that we've kind of already talked about: keeping your cortisol level low, cortisol levels low. That's your stress hormone response. So, doing stress management tactics, um, getting your regular movement in, and sleep like that combination you know, I like to offer to my clients instead of immediately going to supplements, because again, we're going back to basics and knowing that our body is designed to heal itself. And when you give it that proper nutrition and nourishment, it, it really can fend for itself for the most part. I'm not saying you don't need conventional medicine. I feel like we should say that now, like yeah. we have so many technologies and tools and, you know, medications that are so crucial to keeping us alive that's why we have life spans that are so long but um, you know when you start from a the you know the root cause in feeding your body with the the fuel that it needs that's a really great place to start oh
0: yeah so so agree with that and a funny story I think um, maybe it was a few years ago my we'd I don't know, celebrated St. Patrick's Day or whatever by buying some sauerkraut. And then I had read online, you know, about gut health and, you know, how fermented foods help that. And so my husband and I were like challenging each other, like, let's have a spoonful of sauerkraut a day. And I think I lasted a day because I'm just not into really sour food. <laughs> and my husband, no, he kept at it. He was hilarious. And I don't know if that, you know, obviously we did not keep that up. We were actually just talking about it the other day, how we we should do that again. And I was like, I just don't know, honey, if I can. I just don't like that type of food, even though I know it's good for me.
1: Yeah. And, you know, and it's it's one of those things, too, of, you know, part of what I like to do is, like, make cooking fun. Like, it doesn't have to be a super daunting fast or a super daunting task. Um, and, You know, the more that you can, like, even just have the knowledge of what these types of foods are doing in your body, the more likely it is that you're going to start incorporating them into your meals. So, even if you don't have like a hard and fast rule that you have to have something like that in every single meal, at least you have the knowledge of it and have the power to do it, right? When you have the knowledge. And, you know, when it comes to immunity, like, gut health is so, so, so important. And that's why I mentioned some of those foods. Like, your immune system is basically hosted in your gut. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's full of living, you know, organisms in there that are feeding off of each other. And when that gets out of balance, that's really when we start to see a lot of issues happen in the body. Um, so just being mindful of that and really getting the fuel that you need and using food as medicine, um, is, a, is a really great place to start.
0: Yeah. So you mentioned, and you've mentioned a few times throughout, um, our interview, being mindful of that. And so I think that's kind of the last, but definitely not the least part that we wanted to focus on. I mean, mindset and mindfulness is really kind of that key starting place. And why? Why is that? Why is just being more mindful of that? If even you know, like you said, of you know, hey, you're mindful of that. You know that that's good for gut health, and maybe you know, there's something else fermented that you know I want to try or explore as well. But uh, why is that mindset and mindfulness so important?
1: Yeah, I I love that we're ending with this because it's it's so powerful. Mindset work is so important because it essentially informs. Everything that we do. So, your thoughts form your beliefs, and your beliefs form your actions, and your actions create your reality. That that is that is the train there that happens. Um, and there are even studies that have suggested that your beliefs affect the expression of the genes in your body. So it's it's really powerful stuff. And up till now your past conditioning and your experiences have shaped the way that you view the world and the way you show up in it. So if you're acting and creating behaviors based on that, that is your reality. Um, and there's this really great saying, I, I can't think of who said it just now, but there's a saying that goes, your familiar past becomes your predictable future. Mm. So you you can really view that in two different ways. If you're creating repeated health habits to support your wellness and your longevity, then it's pretty clear that that's going to support you into the future, right? Like if you're doing all those things, um, on the other hand, if you aren't as happy with some of the aspects of your life or health, um, and you aren't actually making shifts, your future is going to look pretty much the same as as where you're at right now. And that can apply to many things outside of just what you're eating. Um, And that's all mindset work. And that's really why people work with therapists or coaches or fitness instructors or health coaches or whatever it may be. Um, It's really the mindset work that you're shifting that then shifts your behaviors that then shift your reality. Um, It's, you know, something that I like to talk about is practicing personal future casting or the act of like truly envisioning and then embodying the future future version of you that you want to get to. Um, there's a lot of talk around, you know, the secret and the law of attraction and all these things. And, you know, I like to say like, of course, that's very powerful work, but there's actually actually the implementation part that you need to do as well. Yeah. Um, you can't just think it and then it appears. You can think it and that's begins that very first thing, thoughts form your beliefs, um, but then your beliefs form your actions. <laughs> that's the, you know, the second part and your actions create your reality. So, you know, I have my own mindset coach too, right? Coaches have coaches. I like to remind people of that. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, he says what you show up as uh, – or he says how you show up is what shows up. So unless you're envisioning and taking action daily on the future you, it's probably not going to come to fruition. And you can really apply that to any area in your life.
0: Mm. Oh, that's so, that's so good. Uh, all of this is so good. And I love – that you put that there's an action there too, because I think so many people do talk about that law of attraction and, but they, they don't mention that they don't mention like, Hey, but then you got to go take action. And you know, then it could, you know, if you don't put that in there, it can leave people thinking like, okay, cool. Like I'm manifesting and I'm thinking this stuff, but nothing's happening.
1: Totally. And you know, and and I and I don't mean to like play down that part of it either, but I like to definitely mention the implementation part and the part that's really transformational is understanding how they connect together. So another thing that my mindset coach taught me was um, the idea of the to-be list. So we all have to-do lists, right? We wake up every single day. Maybe you even have to-do list guilt by the end of the day, right? You haven't crossed everything off or you have something that's been on the to-do list for weeks and weeks. but. Um, he likes to, to talk about, um, his name is Nick Pags, by the way, I feel like I should mention that in case anyone wants to go look him up. He's amazing. Um, but he says, you know, maybe you should start focusing on a to-be list. So what do you want to be today? Well, I want to be, you know, I want to be really loving today. And so that actually informs the way you're going to go about your to-do list. And if you think of it like that, like the things that happen throughout your day, a plate crashes on the floor and you have to clean it up and you think, what did I say I was going to be today? I'm going to be loving. So I'm going to pick this up in a loving way, and I'm going to be loving towards myself even though I just made a mistake. And that if you are looking to have a future you that is more loving and you start to think of your to-be list, that's the connection there, right? Like I'm thinking it. I'm envisioning it. I'm putting it you know, out in the universe, but I'm also taking action to implement it too.
0: Oh, wow. That's – wow. That's just the perfect way to end this, your to-be list and i love that i love that i can't it's wait so to good. go and use that oh my gosh because like you said i mean we those to do lists man they can be bring, be guilt guilty oh yeah they can oh, be yeah. guilt but like you said the to be list is just keeping at the forefront of our minds what we you know what we want to be what we aspire to and then it's actually you know giving us those actions behind that oh i love that and i love everything we've talked about today. And I feel like we've had a glimpse into your nourished to Flourish framework. And if this is an indication of anything, it is like, go sign up for it, ladies. <laughs> because, oh my gosh, you are so insightful and wonderful. And this is just such great information. And I think it's just kind of like re-looking at it all and really approaching it, like you said, holistically. And you explained it so well that I think everybody can understand now because I think we can say, oh, we want our health to be holistic, but we don't really know what that means. And you've broken it down so well to what it should be that it's just it's great. Definitely tools that people can use and, and all that good stuff. So if people do want to find out more about the Nourish to Flourish framework, where can they find out more?
1: Yes. Thank you. Thank you so much too. Like that means the world to me because the more that I can really break it down and make it tangible and make it memorable ultimately so people can go out there and actually make changes, um, the better. So thank you so much for saying that. And, um, Yeah. I I run the Nourish to Flourish framework every 90 days. So I'm currently in the middle of a course, but my next one starts on May 3rd. Um, So you can find more information on my website at www.kativanloo.com, or you can reach out to me on Instagram. I'm on there pretty much all day uh, sharing different trainings and tips and educational posts. And I'm in the DMs on there chatting with people about their goals. And so if you have any questions at all, please don't hesitate to reach out to me. I'm, um, at Katie period van Lu on Instagram. And yeah, I, I pretty much just want to help every woman that I can, wherever, whatever stage you're at in your health journey right now. Um, it's a journey and I'm here to meet you there and, and yeah, untangle the messiness of all of this and make it tangible for you to feel your best.
0: I love that. And we're going to link all these links in the show notes so people can go find out more, start their to-be lists. And that starts, you know, with looking you up and following you and hearing all these positive messages about health and wellness. So I thank you so much for coming on today, Katie. Thank you so much. There were so many nuggets of wisdom in that conversation. Like I said, I was taking notes like crazy. Katie is on a mission to help women untangle the mess of diet culture to discover a strong why to their desire to be healthier and also discover their inherent worthiness that has nothing to do with what we eat. I love that. And I loved that we ended on the note of mindfulness and how small, small, Simple, simple steps to being more mindful is to make a to-be list. So again, that's a to-be list, not a to-do list. So that is something I'm totally embracing. How do I want to be today? It's these small things that help us take action to be who we want to be. There's so much great information that Katie shared with us, and I know that you're going to want to know more. So we're going to link all of Katie's information in the show notes, how you can connect with her on Instagram, and how you can learn more about her Nourish to Flourish framework. Just a reminder that you can find all the show notes for this episode on our sponsored blog, badtothebull.com forward slash 31. Again, that is badtothebull.com forward slash 31. And hey, while you're over there on the blog, go ahead and pick up our free five plant-based meatless mains cookbook. This will help you eat more nutrient-dense foods, which will support your immunity, which is some of the points that Katie and I talked about. Thanks again for listening.